Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It is March 23rd. It's hard to believe we're two days into spring already. And I am Mike Pearson. Joining me today is my co-host, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you? I'm good, Mike. Well, that is good to hear. Should we tell the listeners what we're up to today? Sure. Do you want to start? Yeah. I am currently sitting in a McDonald's parking lot in DeWitt, <laughs> Iowa, living the dream. Oh, exciting. Yeah. And you had a speech. Did you uh, have a speech you moderated this morning? You know, it was actually, it was really, really neat. I was uh, over at the Cinnamon Ridge Dairy Farm, and uh, they are a Jersey operation. They are the second most productive Jersey herd in the country, and uh, they are a fantastic group of people. They had what they call the Eastern Iowa Ag Summit, and we had Bill Northy. We were joined by Troy Lusk from River Valley Co-op as a market analyst and uh, Kevin Keel, who is the national policy director for the Iowa Farm Bureau. And basically, we just had the four of us up in the front of the room and about 200 people out in the crowd asking questions, just getting caught up on all the issues that are facing us in ag from policy to funding to uh, the markets. It was a really, really neat, uh, neat morning. Yeah, that sounds neat. What do you have going on today? I've got a lot going on today. I have a shoot later this afternoon, so I'm ready to kick off some news. Perfect. What do you got? Well, obviously, the big news today is Sonny Perdue's hearing, and that was held at 10 a.m. this morning. I believe the hearing has been concluded, but it sounds like all positivity coming out of the hearing. Do we know yet when there will be a confirmation vote? Have we had anything like that discussed? There has been some of that discussed. I believe the senators have, and I'm, I take that back, I believe Congress has five days now to discuss his nomination, and after that five-day period, I believe then it will be put to a vote. Okay. All right. So we've got just a little bit, uh, little bit more to go. Yes. One of the things we talked about at the uh, conference this morning was today is also the day that the House is potentially voting on the repeal reform of Obamacare and uh, the consensus yes. from Kevin Keel at the Farm Bureau was that might get pulled given the fact that not all the Republicans are on board. Yeah, I, and I think that's been kind of stealing the limelight here away from Sonny Perdue's hearing. Um, that, that's obviously going to be a big issue coming up. So that makes well, sense. You know, that's not necessarily related directly to agriculture, but it is to an extent because like you mentioned in another podcast, so many farmers have to have that off-the-farm income for insurance purposes and health care benefits. Right, or they've got to write those massive checks every single year to get coverage. Right. I mean, either way, yeah. it's impacting our bottom line. But, it is. Uh, since I've been, since I've been uh, you know, hanging out at the dairy, I have not had a chance to check the news. Delaney, is there anything else going on? Three more cases of avian flu have been reported in Alabama. Again, a low pathogen variety, but there's also been rumors that there is another case in very southern Alabama, which would be the southernmost case reported. So officials are watching that. We'll keep you updated as we learn more, too. Okay. All right. We'll just have to continue to see how it all plays out. Another thing worth noting is that the Trump administration has released word that they are drafting a formal notification to send to Congress to renegotiate NAFTA. And with this renegotiation, the White House has to provide notification before mandated 90 days before a consultation period with Congress will begin. I think the next 90 days to 
180 days, we'll see some movement with trade. Okay, and then once that 90-day period is up, then they can actually start doing some things. Is that Did I understand that correctly? Yes. Okay. Yes, I believe that is correct. And with the final nomination, um, Congress needs to approve final confirmation for Leitzer. Gotcha, the U.S. trade rep. Okay. Yes. Interesting. You know, we've been talking quite a bit about the JBS, not JBS, but the Brazilian beef corruption scandal. And uh, this morning, when Secretary Northey and also Troy Lusk were talking, there this does seem to be pretty beneficial to U.S. cattle producers. The We had spoken earlier on the podcast about the potential of that Brazilian beef coming to our shores cheaply. And their their take on it was, you know, this has gotten so much press that nobody is going to be importing that beef when it's got this cloud hanging over its head. And ideally, we should start to see this be a a way for us to maybe begin beef exports, actually shipping beef into China. So uh, the consensus from those two guys this morning was this, you know, of course, an outbreak like or a, a an issue like this is never good for an industry, but this could be beneficial for U.S. producers, uh, help us get our toe into some of those Asian markets. So it certainly helped uh, provide some strength in the cattle market, uh, at least for the past couple days. Yeah, that sounds great. So speaking of the markets, Mike, do you want to read those off for us? Absolutely, Delaney. You know I do. So in the corn pit, the May corn contract closed down two cents at 356 and three quarters. Dees corn down two cents as well at 380 even. In soybeans, May beans were down eight and three quarter cents, closed the day at 991 even. Novi beans down seven and a half, down at 991 and a half. Not a whole lot of carry in that bean market. Over on the wheat side in the Chicago contract, May 17 wheat down one and a quarter to 421 even, D17 down two and a half to 470 and three quarters. Looking over at the livestock markets, we did see some weakness today. April live cattle closed down 67 and a half cents at 121.775. The June, the deferred month, closed down 97 and a half cents at 112.80. Looking at feeder cattle, March feeders are down 300, excuse me, 30 cents at 133.70. April feeders down a buck at 135.350. So a lot of those gains we saw yesterday, we gave back just about a third of them today on the livestock side. Delaney, who are we going to be talking to on today's podcast? Today we have, I guess you could say an old acquaintance of mine, Lauren Schwab. She's an Ohio pig farmer, and Lauren and I actually went to Japan together a few years ago. Gosh, it's been almost four years, I think, now. Uh, we went with the U.S. Grains Council when we were both still college age, and we had the opportunity to study international agriculture and their connection with the with Japan. So that's how I got to know Lauren. But she has been an advocate for agriculture for a long time. She runs a blog currently called Farm Girl with Curls. So if you search that in Google, you'll see her blog there. And she really talks about advocating and connecting those that aren't on the farm with the farm. So I'm just going to be quiet and let Lauren tell us her story. Joining us now is Lauren Schwab. And Lauren, you have many talents, um, pig farming being one of them, but you also write a blog, Farm Girl with Curls. Do you want to tell our listeners what prompted you to start that blog? Sure. So I 
am happy to have the opportunity to farm with my family. My dad's a first-generation farmer, and we are a breed-to-wean farm where we raise the piglets. And I went to school for journalism, and that kind of started in the National FFA organization. I found a love for agricultural communications, kind of recognizing that there's a lot of people that don't get to experience farm life and taking care of the animals in the land. And so because I love writing, I decided to use social media to start a blog, talk about farm life, as well as country music that kind of relates to a rural lifestyle, and share what we do on the farm through social media. That's outstanding, Lauren. And uh, how long have you been working on the blog? Um, I've been doing it about three years now, and it's kind of grown over time. Uh, a lot of it on social media platforms is posting pictures and videos, and then on the actual blog, I take time to write more either about what's going on in the farm or interviewing music artists. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. So you've been taking on the role of advocating for agriculture. Yeah, I really enjoy um, sharing what we do and really having that connection with people that can't always visit the farm. Um, We Today we use a lot of technologies on the farm and biosecurity is really important to us and that is essentially just keeping our piglets healthy, keeping them safe inside barns. And so I would like people to be able to virtually uh, tour our farm that aren't able to make it out to Ohio. Now, Lauren, as part of your advocating, you've gotten to travel quite a bit. And uh, earlier this week, you were out in Washington, D.C., a place where a lot of us in the heartland know they don't know a whole lot about agriculture. Tell us what you were doing out there. Yeah, so I have been honored to be selected as a face for farming and ranching for the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. And they had me come out to speak on a panel for National Agriculture Day. And so it's a huge celebration for agriculture, for lots of different organizations to come together and really talk about, we'll celebrate what we're doing and talk about the future of agriculture. And so on the panel, we discussed how today farms are using smart technology, just as we use our smartphones every day. Farmers are using technology in order to give better care to the animals and land and ultimately give a better food supply for consumers. And so we're all about building that confidence in what farmers are doing. So the panel that you were a part of was called Smart Farming, Producing Sustainable, Mm -hmm. Nutritious Food for Life. So what does that mean to our listeners? What were some key takeaways from that panel? Yeah, so the panel had several different perspectives. I touched a lot on animal farming, how we're able to use technology in the barn, such as uh, temperature controls, uh, feeding systems, and really focus on the nutrition of our pigs. Uh, We had a crop farmer. He talked about the different technology he uses on the farm in order um, to give better care to the land and produce a more sustainable food supply. Um, We had someone from John Deere, as well as American Farm Bureau, Um, And they touched on different aspects in agriculture of how farmers are being smart. They are being more innovative. They're able to do more with less and be more sustainable than ever. Now, who was your audience that the panel was addressing? Was it lawmakers or regulators or just the general public? Um, It was 
a mixture of the general public and people from different agricultural organizations. Um, there may have been some policymakers in the audience. It was really open to whoever wanted to attend and hear about what we're doing. And this panel was part of the AgriPulse Ag Day um, conference or celebration? Yes. Um, so we had a lot of different media outlets as well there, uh, taking note of what the farmers were speaking out and they're helping us get our story across even more. So what was the goal of having this panel, um, you know, for ag, specifically on Ag Day? Well, coming together on National Ag Day, first we were celebrating that March 21st was actually proclaimed National Ag Day by the president. Um, and really, we're using that platform in order to reach uh, larger audiences. And so the point of the panel was to come and talk about this is what we're doing on our farms, this is, these are the improvements we made, and we really want to build that confidence and consumer trust in people. So with everyone coming together, um, that just gave us a bigger platform in order to do that. That's excellent, Lauren. As you look out to the future, what was brought up at the panel that uh, has you concerned for agriculture as we go into the future? Um, well, the panel was very positive uh, with the future of agriculture. We talked a lot about how the importance of telling our story as farmers, but we did acknowledge that farmers um, we still have more to do. There's still different ways we can reach consumers, and it's really important for maybe some of those consumers that are more questionative of certain farming practices that use technology, how we can best have those conversations with them. Uh, someone from the audience asked how I handle any negative feedback and I said you know it starts with just having a personal conversation just talking with someone about what we do every day on the farm and that's what's really going to make the biggest impact. So you really take on a role of telling your story and agriculture's story along with being on a farm so what advice do you have to our listeners who are on the farm and maybe want to do more for advocacy? Um, I would my advice would be um, to not underestimate just the small things you do every day. Um, I tell people that one picture, one blog post, one conversation, it all makes a difference. Um, I talked about how I am happy to be the, the next generation coming into the family farm and really embracing the use of technology where my dad hasn't it's taken him a little bit of time to get on the board with the cell phones and everything like that. And so I feel like relating to other young millennials and just um, sharing what you do every day is really what people want to see. Have you had much uh, negative feedback on either the blog or on your uh, social media pages? Uh, that was that was actually a question I got from the audience during the panel. Um, I haven't had much negative feedback and that's because I really take the time to think about uh, what I want to share um, and the conversations I want to start. So I take the time to take a certain photo, maybe it's of a piglet I'm taking care of and posting it in a way so that usually the conversations start more positive and people are just interested in what's going on. Of course, there's going to be some negative feedback when you post enough and um, I was able to have a conversation with someone that maybe was questioning more of why we house the animals the way we do and by the end of the conversation they're at least appreciative and know we give the best care um, 
and it, that's perfectly fine with me, even if they decide not to consume pork. So really just having those conversations so people can trust in what we're doing. One of the comments I hear quite a bit uh, directed at those who share stories of life on the farm is if there's a person who doesn't appreciate whether it's uh, hog production in a modern confinement facility, whether it's modern beef production mm -hmm. or row crops, they say, well, I can see you're doing it right. It's the other people, you know, we need to mm -hmm. address. Is there a way that when you're talking about your operation and your experience, you can relate it to the industry as a whole? Yes. Um, that That's one big thing I like to do is uh, we are a family farm, and, and though maybe we're smaller in size compared to other farms, we, we still are practicing the same uh, pra industry practices as the larger farms. Um, I like to let people know that, all farms are family run. It's just some have got had to get larger over time and are made up of smaller farms and maybe have some more employees. But we're all practicing um, in the same way. And every farmer has to go through a pork quality assurance program. I like to talk about how we are certified and what we're doing through the National Pork Board, through our veterinarians, and that we follow certain guidelines. And I think that really builds that consumer trust for them to know that no matter the size of the farm, that everyone still has the same goals and same practices. Speaking of size of farm, um, I don't know if we asked you how big your family farm is. Yeah, so we have 1,200 sows, and it's free to wean. Um, and so every other week we raise about that many piglets for another farmer we have a contract with. And that farmer raises them on out to market, and so we specialize in that way so that we can give more individualized care and attention to each and every pig, even though we're raising more than when my dad first started in the 1970s. And so when I was on the panel, I talked about how I would almost argue that the pigs today on our farm are receiving better care than when my dad had only a handful of sows, just because they're inside um, receiving um, that individual care and attention. And technology, I'm sure, has helped individualize care. Yes, um, and we have such as we have automatic feeding systems and a formulated diet through our swine nutritionist, so we can monitor the intake of the sows, especially during their pregnancy. Um, using the automatic feeding system allows me to spend more time on the sows that are nursing their piglets, where I need to give more hands-on care. Lauren, as you look out into the future, and uh, you are still a young woman who's carving a path in the field of agriculture, what do you think our industry, or your industry, let's look at pork in particular, what's it going to look like in 20 years? Hmm. Well, uh, that's a big prediction. I was telling someone just the other day, just looking back at how much it's changed over the past 20 years. I know maybe a lot of pig farmers um, couldn't have imagined the technologies that have developed. So I would say in the next 20 years, I hope that more young people like me become more interested in, ta in taking over their family farm or innovating them in different ways to make them their own and really embrace technology so that we're able to bring on more farmers. Um, maybe we specialize in different areas. I know there's a lot of niche marketing. I could see more of that coming about. 
Um, but really, I see um, more young people coming into agriculture because of what technology has to offer, knowing that they can build a livelihood for themselves. Well, Lauren, thank you again so much for taking time out of your day. We know you're busy, obviously, with weaning. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for thinking of me. It was, I'm happy to okay. do the interview. Of course, and feel free to share this podcast on your social media or blog about it or whatever you like. Okay, awesome. I definitely will. All right. Thank you, Lauren. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Again, Lauren is very active on social media, and her handle for Twitter is at FarmGirlWithCurls. So make sure and follow her. She's a great person to connect with agriculture. And, you know, Mike... Moving from a farm to college to now I live in Ankeny, which is a suburb of Des Moines, for those listeners out there who aren't associated with Iowa, I really, I think that what she's doing is great. I mean, there's so many people I run into all the time that have no idea what agriculture really means. And when I tell them I used to live on a farm and my parents still farm, they just have no idea. They have no perception of that. Yeah, and I imagine you probably spend most of your weekends, you just post up there at the meat aisle at the grocery store and tell people the story, don't you? (laughs) Well, not quite, but that would be an interesting thing to try out one weekend. You know, actually, and that's, we need to write this down, um, at the Iowa, uh, uh, I was going to say Iowa Beef Center, at the Iowa Beef Industry Council, um, they have actually done that. Just stood at a meat counter and said, hey, why are you buying beef? What do you think about beef? And uh, we'll have to have them on. Um, and just, just because people like me, Delaney, you know, the older people were not always so great with technology. So Lauren Schwab is farm girl with curls on Twitter, but it's actually, it's farm girl W curls. So the yes, is it is. and for old people, you know, we need to have that spelled out. Sometimes. <laughs> you know, as we think about advocating the farm I was at this morning, uh, the dairy operation, cinnamon Ridge over at Donahue, they are. One of their their key components when they built their farm, they've got four robots. You know, they're very, very cool as far as dairy production goes, but they're also not too far from the Quad Cities. And so one of the things they've really tried to do is bring in a lot of visitors. And so I'll have to talk to John and Joan Maxwell, run the farm. Um, They get tour buses through all the time of people, you know, connected to John Deere in some ways, a lot of international travel travelers come through and bank groups, all kinds of things. They come through the dairy farm, they get to feel for, you know, this is what modern dairy production is like on a family operation. And um, those stories I really believe are important to tell because the people buying our stuff in the grocery store and, and you know, every place else they're the same people voting. They're the same people getting hired in D.C. or Des Moines or Lincoln or Springfield as legislators, as regulators, and they do affect our business. And uh, it's good to make sure they have the facts on their side, which I think Lauren does a good job doing. She does. I agree. Well, what do we have going on the rest of the week, Mike? Well, I am glad you asked. I have been in contact with a friend of mine, a friend of Market to Markets, probably a man familiar with a lot of us, and uh, his name is Darren Newsom. And we are trying to nail down a time to talk to Darren tomorrow, and uh, hopefully we'll get his th- his thoughts on the end of the week here in the markets and what he anticipates going forward into next Friday's supply and demand, or excuse me, quarterly grain stocks and prospective plantings reports. 
Well, that all sounds great. Again, thank you for listening. And if you're not following us yet on Twitter, the Twitter handle you can find us at is at Ag News Daily. So be sure to tune in tomorrow when we have Darren Newsom on.